We'll be closing the series that we began this summer in Hebrews chapter 11. And technically, we did finish chapter 11 last, last week. So for those of you who are very literal, maybe a little type A, we've made a new slide for you. Not just Hebrews chapter 11, but chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, grab it and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. If you need a Bible, slip your hand up and someone from our strike team will put one in your hands. And when we started this series, we opened with a big idea. That the whole book of Hebrews was a, was a big argument or a case being made that, that Jesus was greater. Greater than the angels, greater than Moses, greater than the prophets. Jesus is the final and best expression of the love and mercy of God. And as Greg so faithfully preached last week, if you were here last week, Jesus is not only greater, but he's worth everything. Persecution, trials, hardships, even death. Jesus is worth it. And if you read Hebrews as a whole, I don't know if any of you have gone back and have maybe read through the book as a whole this summer as we've been studying chapter 11, but there are some indicators here that the audience who is originally receiving this, uh, what we call the book of Hebrews, a letter, that they were originally receiving it, that maybe they're a little bit weary. Perhaps this is a group of Christians that has been around for a while. It's a church that's, they've taken their lumps. They've seen some stuff. Maybe they're a little worn out. Maybe they're a little tired of fighting. They've been going for a while and they feel the need to to slow down and to take a break. How do do I know this? I I want to ask you to turn there. um, But if we kind of walk through parts of Hebrews, they'll be on the screen. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. The writer of Hebrews says, We must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift. So there's concern of drifting. Hebrews chapter 3, take care, brothers, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. There's concern of falling away. Hebrews chapter 5, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain to you since you have become dull of hearing. That's always a good compliment, right? I want to tell you stuff, but it's hard because you're kind of dull. He goes on and says, at this point, you should be teachers, but you still need me to teach you stuff. Verse, or chapter 10, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, after you heard, after you understood this message, you endured hard struggle with suffering. You were compassionate. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. He's saying you, you, when you first heard, you responded with joy in your hardships because you knew that what was coming was better. And in verse 35, he says, therefore, don't throw away your confidence. Now, you don't have to tell someone to not throw away their confidence unless you're worried that they might actually throw away their confidence. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance. We started our series with that. And we'll come back to it here. In verse 38, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The writer of Hebrews, I think, is saying, don't give up. The big theme is Jesus is who he said he is. He's greater than what you think he is. And he's worth it. So don't give up. Don't hit autopilot. Don't stop running. Not because you're not tired. You might be exhausted. But coasting and cruise control, he says, leads to apathy. Which is just not caring as much. And apathy is the doorway to drift. And ultimately, unbelief and falling away. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Don't stop running. The life of faith in Christ Jesus is a life of running. So don't stop. 
So that's our big idea this morning, looking at Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. We run by faith with the faithful, throwing off every weight and sin with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let me say that again. We run by faith with the faithful, throwing off every weight and sin with our eyes fixed on Jesus. So let's read the text this morning. Hebrews 12, chapter, or Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is God's holy and inerrant word to teach us, to encourage us, to correct us, and to build us up this morning. Now, as we look at this text, we see a, a, a primary command, if you will. It's an imperative. It's, a, it's a, what we're supposed to do with this. And that's the word run. Now, he says it in a nice way. He says, let us run. He's welcoming us into that. But no less of a command is the word run. And now, I'm, what, I'm not what most people would call a runner. Okay? On the day of the Fargo Marathon, well, the races have already begun. How many, any runners in the room run a half marathon or a full marathon? 5Ks? 10Ks? Right? Some of you are like, I don't want to admit it. Right? Or you're like me and you're just not really a runner. On the day of the Fargo Marathon, while people have already started their race, my main objective on Marathon Day is to navigate a path through the race route to Sandy's Donuts. Like, that's my objective on race day. Can I get an amen? My, my philosophy of running kind of has two main points, right? As a guy who grew up playing baseball, I really only have to be fast for 90 feet at a time. Or two, in case of bear attack or zombie apocalypse, I don't have to be faster than everyone in the room. I just have to be faster than a few of you. That's basically my philosophy of running. In fact, as a rule, if any of you see a text or Instagram post or Twitter or whatever of mine that either references decaf coffee or is like, hey, I'd like to take a run, both of those are code for I'm kidnapped and I need help. Like, So if you ever see me, hey, it would be fun to go on a run today. Someone should text 911 and say, wherever Jake is, he's probably in trouble. But the idea of the life of faith as a race is not a new concept. We didn't make that up. It's not just a nice thing to put on a motivational poster. In 2 Timothy, when the Apostle Paul is nearing the end of his life, he's handing off ministry to Timothy and encouraging him to keep going in ministry. Paul says this about his own life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So what Hebrews 12.1 is saying, this life of faith as a follower of Jesus is a race. So the encouragement here is to run, to keep going. And when we opened this series 84 days ago, which I actually counted the days, it was 84 days ago when we opened up this series, we looked at Hebrews 10.36, which we talked about just a second ago. The writer of Hebrews tells the readers You have need of endurance. And this is just as true for us today as it was 84 days ago, as it was for those who first read this. You and I are in need of 
endurance. Remember the cautions we just read a minute ago. The concerns of the writer of Hebrews. He says, pay close attention lest we drift. Take care because unbelief in our hearts will grow and there's danger of falling away. How quickly we can become dull. Hard of hearing and hard of heart. Instead of growing healthy and fruitful, the calluses grow hard and crusty. There are times we feel like we can't go any further. And anyone who tackles a challenge, anyone who trains for a race or looks at a big goal or a big project and says, this is going to take a lot of time and energy and you step into those things, anyone who does that will understand that you will inevitably hit a wall. You will have roadblocks. There will be trials. You will be tired. You will get beat up. And the caution for us is that while we might need to, to physically or mentally recover at times, we may even need a spiritual retreat or rest. Faith, this life of faith, of following Jesus, is designed as a running race. So we can and should ask the question, where are you feeling weary? Where are you tired? Are there things right now that are pressing in on your life to such a degree that you feel that there are even hairline cracks forming? Are you still confident, even in your weariness, that God will be faithful? It's okay for us to confess and just admit, I need endurance. When we're called from death to life, when we're welcomed into following Jesus, we are set on a path to run. Not walk, not meander, not just stand on the moving walkway at the airport and let it take us down the thing at like 1.2 miles per hour. No, we're called to run. And not just to run, but to keep running. That's the main kind of thrust here in one and, uh, verse 1 and 2. Let us run. And we don't run alone. We run with the faithful. Verse 1 starts with a therefore. Anytime in Scripture, when you see a therefore, look at what has come before it. It tells you what it is. Therefore, it's a bad, therefore, Bible joke. But you have to look at what has come before, right? Our study in Hebrews 11 has been this like big highlight, this historical record, if you will, of God's faithfulness in flawed people. There's this great cloud of witnesses that we've studied in Hebrews chapter 11, and they have one thing in common, just one. It's not that their faith was flawless or that they had no doubts or that they were super spiritual, and only if we could emulate their uh, what they did, if we could emulate Abraham, or we could emulate the faith of Moses, or could be as bold as Rahab who put her faith on the line. No, no, the one thing that each of the named saints from Hebrews chapter 11 has, and the one thing that each of the unnamed saints that we looked at this last week, the one thing they had in common was the object of their faith. As Greg pointed out last week, each of these people were deeply flawed and used mightily of God. They were trusting in Jesus as the fulfillment of all of God's promises to them, even though they didn't know his name. As Jesus said about Abraham, he was looking forward to my day. They were trusting in Jesus. And so Hebrews 11 says, if you're a Christian, this is your history too. Therefore, 
in light of all these men and women who trusted God and walked by faith through joys and through pain. Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses and in Christ included with them, let us run. There are no bench sitters in the kingdom of God. There are no second stringers in the kingdom of God. The life of faith in Christ is a life running side by side with one another as God's people, the church at this time and place in history, and with all the faithful who've gone before us. And by God's grace, all those who will trust in Jesus and run after us long after we've died and our names are forgotten. We run with the faithful. And Hebrews isn't just a list of examples. It doesn't just say to run, but starts to give us some qualifiers. How are we supposed to do this? How are we to run? Look at the passage. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So there's three descriptors of the running we're called to do. Since we're surrounded, let us lay aside every weight and sin, run with endurance the race that is set before us. Laying aside every weight and sin with endurance the race set before us. Let's look at the first one of those. Laying aside every weight and sin. It's interesting that the author here doesn't just say laying aside sin, but every weight and sin. It would be one thing just to point out like, well, sin will keep you from running well, right? If, if Jesus cleanses us from all sin, as First John says, so that we might have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another, it would make sense to say, well, clearly sin would keep me from that kind of fellowship, would keep me from running. What's intriguing to me is the inclusion of the phrase, every weight. Another meaning for that word translated as weight is hindrance. It's a, it's, a, it's a roadblock. Picture yourself wearing a backpack and filling it with bricks. It's a hindrance. It's, a, it's an extra burden. Now, while filling a backpack with bricks might be a good training exercise, it would be terrible in competition. Can you imagine Olympic sprinters with backpacks full of lead or something? Way less cool to watch. So when it says every weight, it includes anything that would hold you back from running the race. Not just sin. So it means that there are things in our lives, non-sinful things, even good things, maybe especially good things, that we might need to lay down in order to continue to run hard and faithfully into what God is calling us. So I'm going to ask both questions. As it relates to sin, laying aside sin, what are some of the areas of struggle and temptation and sin that do creep into your life? We believe the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer convicts of sin, brings it to our attention that we might confess it and walk in freedom and forgiveness and gratitude. So what are some of those things that rob you of your joy, that are literally hindering your ability to run? What areas of sin seem to cling so closely They're always there to trip you up. And secondly, and this might be the harder question, what other areas, if you're honest, tend to demand all of your time and energy and focus, even good things 
that we turn into God things, small g, which ultimately are roadblocks or rocks. See, when it comes to sin, God's word is very clear over and over and over again. But when it comes to weights, when it comes to hindrances, it can get really subjective really quick. What may be a hindrance for me might not be for you and vice versa. It might be sin. It might not be. So when confronted with a choice, we're all tempted to ask this question, right? We have an opportunity of something in front of us. This. Should have like brought an empty box or something. This. And we tend to ask the question when deciding what should we do with it. Should we participate? Should we spend our time and energy here? Should we, should we indulge our minds and our thoughts and our thinking here? We ask the question, well, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with it? And I think part of what Hebrews 12 is getting at is how we answer that question, how we justify those choices, which is why the writer adds every weight and sin. Because if we only answer that question in the hopes that we only want to avoid sin, our main goal is just avoiding the really bad stuff, I fear we, are, we will inevitably find loopholes around areas where the Bible might not be quite as explicit. And even where the Bible is clear, we might favor an interpretation that kind of fits our preference. So Hebrews says, not just sin, but every weight and sin. So I'm not saying don't ask the question, what's wrong with this? There are things we look at and we go, that's not cool. It goes against God's character, goes against his word. Clearly I can see what's wrong with this. But we should also ask this question, does this, whatever this is, actually help me run? Not just what's wrong with it, although by all means ask the question. God's word speaks very clearly in many, many places. But also asking, does this actually make me run better? Does this encourage me to be more sacrificial? Does this help me love my neighbor? Does this help me love Jesus more or less? Is it just a distraction? See, this idea of throwing off weights is not to create another list of things to do and not do. Hear me clearly on that. But the goal is to make us more free to obey the commands of God. More free to embrace what he calls us to. Not adding burden, but removing shackles. This question makes us more free to run. Does this help me run? And I want to I embrace those things that help me run and put aside those things that hinder my ability to run. We confess sins and we set aside every extra, extra weight so that we can run. Hebrews 12 says, let us run with endurance. It's the next descriptor. This is steady. There are times when your pace might speed up or slow down. There are times of hardship. When you're slogging through, you don't seem to be making much ground. Uh, I, I, for me, it's like when I'm having a... Have you ever had that nightmare where you're trying to run and your legs don't work? No one's ever had that. Some people have like the I'm falling dream. Some people have like I'm being chased by bears dream. In my dream, I'm trying to run. And usually I'm not being chased. Usually I'm trying to like chase after something or someone. And in my dream, it's like you're running in molasses or something. You can't move. Uh, I was told that that's actually a biological thing because your brain is shutting off your motor functions while you're sleeping. So you don't actually take off and run down the street. 
But apparently my brain is going like, you should be running. And I'm like freaking out. Like those are my nightmares is I can't run. I'm trying, standing there, but it's like moving through something slow. Right? There are times when in real life our pace feels like that. We don't seem to be making a lot of progress. But an endurance runner just keeps going. There's a steadiness, a purposefulness to this type of running that Hebrews is talking about. The Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth, now, Corinth was a pretty messed up place. There was a wide range, a mixed bag of people at various levels of maturity, victory over sin, all kinds of things. And Paul's using himself as an example. In chapter 9, he says, I do not run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. There's purposefulness in his running and in his fighting. In Romans 5, Paul goes so far as to say he rejoices in his suffering. Why? Because suffering produces the kind of endurance he's going to need. So in our risk-averse culture, where we try to avoid uh, suffering, we try to avoid hardship, we do everything we can to like guard ourselves from suffering. What we're doing in that is we're guarding ourselves from the very thing that produces the endurance we need to get through that suffering. So we run with endurance, not haphazardly, not aimlessly, not erratic running. There's steadiness to it. And then, look at the next part, with endurance, the race that is set before us. Notice that he doesn't say you. This is plural. It says us. This is our race. And I don't, I don't want to make too much of, of this, but I think it's worth addressing. I think we tend to get uh, overly burdened by the specifics of our particular route. We're not sure which job to take, or should we take the relationship we're into the next level, or we're so afraid of making the wrong choice that we freeze up and make no choices. Could you live in this town or that town? Could you get a job in one of a dozen different fields? Could you have a family with 10 kids? Could you have no kids? Could you remain single your entire adult life? Could you make a ton of money? Could you spend your life in service to the poor and needy? The answer to those questions is yes. Not one of them is more or less God-honoring necessarily than the others. The route is important. Your path in the route is important. But the finish line, where we're all going, our race is ultimate. And the focus, the goal, is the same for all of us. Where are we going? This is our race, and we're going to see that here in just a second, because there's a comma next. It doesn't just go on and say, now go run your race, do your best, good luck, hope you make it. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, comma, looking to Jesus. We run by faith with the faithful throwing off every weight and sin with our eyes fixed on him. And then, and then the writer of Hebrews unpacks a few things that are true of Jesus in our looking at him. When we look at him, here's what the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 at least wants us to see. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. This faith that we have is not something we manufacture ourselves. It's a gift that comes from God through Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we are saved 
By grace through faith. If we are saved, we are saved by grace through faith, which is a gift of God and not by any of our own works. Okay? None of us holds up individual medals. Say like, see, I, I ran, I did it. This is my faith. It's got my name engraved on the back. No, faith is the vehicle by which God saves us. And Hebrews says, do you know who designed that? Who authored your faith? Who then it, like blesses you with assurance and confidence? Jesus did that. Jesus, he, he designed it and he's perfecting it in you. The designer and the architect is also the builder and the finished carpenter. To use a house analogy, okay? Jesus designed it and is perfecting it in you. He started it and he will bring it to completion. John 10, Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, Jesus says, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them from my hand. That's good to hear. He will do all that he's promised to do. And if, pro- if he's promised to carry us to the end, he will. Thanks be to God. And then there's another comma here. Founder and perfecter of our faith, comma, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. See, death by crucifixion was a shameful death. You were stripped naked and hung in public to die slowly. It was designed to humiliate and denigrate. It was intended for shame. And Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. See, Jesus was looking beyond the curse of the cross. I think Jesus is looking beyond the cross to a picture of the glorious resurrection and and the glory of victory over sin and victory over death and hell and the grave and the brightness of the glory filled him with joy to walk right through what was about to happen, the cross and the burial to the resurrection. He took joy in what was to come. Where all that had been marred by sin, everything that had been broken, every one of us who had been broken and marred by sin and suffered and covered in shame, Jesus looked forward and he saw that made right. He saw in his Picture a a beautiful and a pure, spotless bride, no longer uh, shamed because of our sin, no longer broken because of our own failures, but pure and holy and new and right, made up from every people and tribe and tongue and nation, glorifying God and enjoying perfect fellowship with Him forever. It wasn't easy, but it was worth it. His eyes were fixed on eternal joy. So he endured the cross and stood over the shame, put it under him, looked down upon it. And then it says, he sat down. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's the author and perfecter His eyes were fixed on eternal joy, and Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne 
of God. To be seated at the right hand of the king means that all the authority of the kingdom is yours. The one who sits to the right side at the right hand of the king rules on behalf of the king. Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, took on human flesh and a human nature, suffered and died according to that human nature, and was raised to life again, conquering death and ascended and is now glorified to reign forever as King and Lord over the kingdom of God. Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the picture of Hebrews chapter 1, verse, chapter 12, verse 2. And he is seated. And that's important. See, when the king sits, that means his word is final and his job is complete. He doesn't sit while he's working. He doesn't sit in process. But when the king sits, he's saying, it is done. It's finished. So Jesus endured the cross, conquered sin and death, rose again to new life, ascended to heaven, and then sat down. That's good. And so here's what's interesting. Jesus is the author. Jesus is the finisher. And yet, the call for us to run remains. The Apostle Paul says something similar in Philippians chapter 2. Paul is unpacking the beauty of Christ who who humbled himself, taking the very nature of a servant, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Just pointing out the, the humility, the beauty of the humility of Christ. And he says, therefore, in light of Christ's example, verse 12, Paul says, now work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Basically, uh, live out the reality of your salvation. And if it stopped there, I'd go, say that again? But then Paul says this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. To put it in the language of Hebrews chapter 12, let me say what I think Paul wants to say, what Paul says in Philippians 2 in Hebrews 12 language. Run the race set before you, for it is Christ who has run the race. He has finished the race, and he is at work even now in you, giving you endurance to keep running all the way to the end. Now for some of us, we need to be reminded that it's Christ's work and not our work. See, some of you don't have a problem with running. You have no problem with working. But you've forgotten that it's Christ's work. It's his power at work in you. So you're running a race. But you're running that race on a path to who knows where. It's not the race that he's marked out for us. So if I can, let me call you back to lay aside your attempt to earn based on your own merit, based on the carefully crafted path that you've laid out for yourself. And trust Christ, because then, only then, is our effort not in vain. And for some of us, maybe you've started to coast. Maybe it's because you're exhausted. Like, there's reality there. And maybe it's because you're lazy. And there's reality there. And maybe it's somewhere in between. But either way, I think the response is the same. Can I encourage you to consider what Christ was looking at 
What Christ saw, what his eyes were fixed on, and in light of him, keep running. Don't stop. We run, looking to Jesus, the one who founded our faith, the one who purchased our salvation, the one who conquered temptation, paid the penalty for our sin, who currently reigns on high over the universe, who has promised to never leave one of his own. And with confident and humble hope, we believe that he will bring us all the way to the end. There are many things on this path that work against us. We know that. Anything worth doing is worth hard work, right? Or if There's a Teddy Roosevelt quote, quote in there somewhere, but I'm going to butcher it, so I'm just going to leave it alone. We know that it's going to be hard. There will be things that, that pop up in our path. or We will struggle with our own shortcomings and our own weaknesses. But we're not surprised by this because we don't run via contingency plan. And we don't run erratic. We run by faith. And that's because our confidence doesn't lie in us or our ability to plan or our ability to adapt or our training. Our confidence is in the one who actually keeps his promises. We started this series with this definition of faith. Faith is confidence that God will do all that he's promised to do. So if we're to run by faith, then we're running confident that God will do what he said. We run by faith. We run with the faithful, surrounded by example after example of flawed people using, being uh, mightily used by God. We throw off every weight and sin so that we might run unhindered, so that we might run free. And we fix our eyes on Jesus who has worked salvation for us. And because we are his, we can keep running, confident that he will bring us all the way to the end. As it says in Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Not because we don't waver, not because we're super spiritual, because he who promised is faithful. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the faithful one. That at the right time, you sent Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, to take on human flesh, to save sinners, to rescue us, and at the right time to die for us and to rise again. Would you give us fresh eyes to see what you've done, Lord Jesus, that it might give us encouragement, that it might bolster our weariness. For any of us who are, who are weary and tired and exhausted, would you be for us the strength that we need? Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit that we might Run the race you've set before us. And Father, for any of us in the room who are attempting to run on our own strength, would you intervene into the stubbornness of our hearts that we might lay those things down? That we might run with freedom the path you've put in front of us. Would you help us uh, stir in our hearts conviction that we might confess, knowing you are faithful and just to forgive, to cleanse us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.